Colossians 3.19 says this, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Father, we need your grace and your help. Father, we need you to open our hearts to, to plow them up, to make them good soil. Father, I think of uh, that passage in Luke 8 where you, you tell us to be careful how we hear. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we would be careful how we hear. God, make, make our hearts receptive. Make them attentive to your word. Make them submissive, Father, to, um, to know that, that you're always right, that we can trust you, that your way is best. And so, God, give us, give us obedient hearts. Let us be doers of the word today. Father, teach and reveal through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week uh, we talked about the biblical man, command to a wife to submit to the leadership of her husband. We kind of tried to unpack what that means in a wife uh, affirming her husband's leadership, a wife responding to her husband's leadership, a wife encouraging the leadership of her husband, and doing all of that for the glory of God to live out the picture of Christ and the church and to advance the gospel to her children, first of all, and then to the ends of the earth. In other words, this whole submission thing is not just kind of some random power trip type thing. It's, it's not uh, God getting on the guy's side, as we talked about last week. No, 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 none of that. This is actually a bigger picture item, okay? This, this is for the glory of God. It is to live out the picture of Christ and the church, and it is for the purpose of advancing the gospel to our children and to the ends of the earth, all right? That's why a woman is to respond, to affirm, to encourage the leadership of her husband. Now, in the next verse, <clears throat> Paul turns to the husbands. Now, you would think that if he just said to the wives, all right, you need to respond, affirm, you know, encourage the leadership, come under the leadership of your husband, submit to the leadership of your husband, then we would think you would turn around to the husband and say, dude, you got to lead, right? I mean, that, that you would think those would be the opposite, you know, kind of uh, uh, the, the, the counter to that. Right, so you, you you're supposed to submit to leadership. All right, now you got to lead. You would think he would turn around and say, "Hey, dude, initiate, set the pace, chart the course, gather the family, blaze the trail, get off your duff, do something." You know that you would think it would be something of that nature, but instead of saying lead, he says love. Isn't that interesting? It is, all right? You should think that's interesting, right? Instead of, instead of saying lead, which you would think that would be the opposite, that would be the counter, that would be the kind of balancing this deal out. If he tells the wife, you know, submit to leadership, then he, sh he should tell the husband, all right, now you need to lead. But instead of saying lead, which I, I think that would be appropriate, but instead of saying that, he says love. Now, why would he say that? Why, why, would, he, why would he say to the husband, all right, now you need to love your... I mean, why wouldn't it almost be a given, you know? Uh, why, why, why would he need to do that? couple reasons, and then we'll get to the one that I really want to talk about. couple reasons. I, surely this provides a bit of a boundary, right? So you're going to have those guys who hear from the scriptures, hey, God has made you the leader, 
And, you know, they've never got to lead anything in their life. You know, growing up, they always wanted to be the captain of the kickball team, and they never got to, not even once, you know. And all of a sudden, they become a Christian, and they find out that God has said, all right, you need to lead your household. And they are so excited that they jump right into Hitler's leadership style, you know. And they become a tyrant, you know. They become, you know, a, 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 a bossy, um, domineering, just horrible of a husband. And so... Probably there's some of that. Probably, probably there's this boundary where Paul says, all right, gal, so I want you to submit yourself under the leadership of your husband. You know, last week you had this Beth Moore type husband who's this incredibly gifted Bible teacher, you know, communicator, sharp, you know, and she marries a guy that, you know, hardly ever talks, right? And so this guy here, is, he's supposed to lead. You know, there, there, there's probably somewhat of a balance there where where Paul's saying, okay, but, but remember, you, got, you need to love first, right? You need to love first. Don't, don't ever turn this into something unhealthy, right? Don't ever take God's command that a husband ought to lead his wife and forget the rest of the Bible, you know? Forget everything we just learned about patience and compassion and meekness and humility and, 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 and everything we've been reading about in chapter 3, right? So, so maybe, maybe there's some, somewhat of a counterbalance there. Just reminding husbands, all right, but, you know, in your leadership, it's got to be covered in love. It's probably also true, uh, you've probably read books that talk about this, that in general, men have a big need for respect, women have a big need for love, and so there's, there's probably a little bit of that there where the Bible is, is basically telling the wife, all right, your, your, your husband has a need to be respected, so that's the way you love him, and then telling the wife, all right, you're, or telling the I don't know what I just said. Telling the, the wife, all right, your husband has a big need to be respected, so that's the way you love him. And then, then telling the husband, all right, your wife has a, has a big need to be loved, and so, so that, that's the way you love her. Probably some of that as well. But, but here's, here's the real big one, all right? Why does he say love instead of lead? Because loving is leading, okay? Do you, do you understand that? Loving is leading. So, so when, when a a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church. He is leading. Like he's doing the very thing he's called to do. A husband's greatest tool in leading his family is loving his wife. A, a man's greatest tool in raising up sons who will love the gospel, who will turn from sin, who will take Take the, the word of Jesus and the cross to the ends of the earth. The guy's greatest tool is loving his wife. Like it begins there. So guys, you are appointed by God to point your family to Jesus, to initiate obedience to God, to encourage your family to pray together, to read the scriptures, to serve their neighbors, to worship the king. All of that is true. If we, if we read Ephesians 6.4 and we, and we take that serious, you know, it, it's the husband's, the father's responsibility to disciple the kids. In Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's really interesting that for the last hundred years, probably, there's been this Christian culture in America that has given that responsibility to the mother. I mean, I mean, not, not completely, but that's been the trend. For a hundred years in the church of America, well, I don't know where we got this idea, but what, 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 what's been done is, as a whole, people have said, all right, it's mom's job 
to take the kids to church. It's mom's job to learn Bible verses with the kids. It's mom's job to talk about spiritual things. Where do we get that? I, I cannot think of where we got that except maybe the devil, possibly. I mean, I'm sure he's, he might say that, but nowhere else does it say that. Now, obviously, the woman has a role, obviously, throughout the Bible. Yes, 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 absolutely, absolutely. But, but again, the Bible's clear that the husband, the responsibility that it gets done rests on him. It's on men's shoulders. We are responsible to lead our families. The parallel passage of Ephesians 5, uh, we're going to be going there a whole bunch, so if you want to put a little bookmark there, it's just a couple pages back, but Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 are incredibly similar. 5 and 6, actually, Ephesians 5 and 6 and Colossians 3 are, are very similar, and so we're going to be referring, one is almost a commentary on the other. And, and it's interesting that when Paul is weaving back and forth from Jesus and the church to husband and wife. Remember that great passage we talked about a little bit last week? So in Ephesians 5, there's this great passage, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And then he goes on for like 10 verses, just going back and forth between the picture of Jesus and the church and, and the picture of a husband and a wife. And, and it's interesting that in that passage, it is implied that a husband would lead out in a way that sanctifies his wife. This is heavy stuff. Um, we're getting into a bit of mystery here, okay? So, so be patient with me. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's implied in Ephesians 5 that as I love Emma really well, that, that, that my leadership and love will have some kind of residual effect where she is drawn closer to Jesus. Let me read that to you. That's the best way we can do it. So Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Okay, now who's he talking about there? This passage is so hard because he goes back and forth. He's talking about the church, right? Is that what you get, right? Let's read it again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, so he started with husband and wife, and then he says, as Christ loved the church. So we, we think he's still talking about Christ and the church and gave himself up for her, right? Jesus gave himself up for the church, right? He died on the cross. He gave his life for the church. Okay, keep reading with me. Verse 26. That he might, so Jesus, that Jesus might sanctify her, we're reading that as the church, having cleansed her, reading that as the church, by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church, clearly the church there, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So, so Jesus gives his life for the church in order to change the church, transform the church in holiness and present the church, present the people of God in heaven, holy, without spot or wrinkle, okay? So that she might be holy without blemish. And then verse 28, in the same way. Do you, do you see that? In the same way, husbands. Whoa, whoa, stop right there. In the same way, husbands. I know this is where this gets really tough, right? You know why this gets really tough? Because I would say most guys would say that their wives are the most difficult person in the world that they, for them to try to influence for Christ. I don't know how else to say it. I just had to spit it out. You know, because, you know, proof? Talk to guys about who's, who's one of the hardest people in the world to pray with consistently a 
lot of guys will say their wife. Guys that when you call on them to pray at Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church and there's hundreds of people, they'll stand right up and pray. Not a problem. Guys that have no problem walking into, into their kids' bedrooms at night and kneeling down, you know, let me pray for you little critters, you know, pray for them right there, no problem. But then all of a sudden when it's husband and wife, it's just, what is that? I don't know. Nobody knows. It's this kind of awkwardness. It's this tripping over and, and, and do it, but it's difficult. And, and then, like, how do, you, how do you disciple your wife? Like, you know, like in the mornings at McDonald's when the guys show up, I'm like, all right, guys, open up your Bibles. All right, we're in this bit right here. You know, let's read this passage. All right, hey, you, Bob, you know, what do you think of that? You struggle with that, you know? But then all of a sudden when I go home, you know, it, it doesn't quite work the same way, you know? It was like trying to get dinner on. I'm like, hey, Emma, come sit down right here. You know, let's read the Bible. You know, what do you think about that? <laughs> you see how like it all of a sudden it's, it's hard. And, and so a lot of guys read this and they're like, okay, so I, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to love my wife in a way that, that I'm supposed to be a discipling influence in her life. And I'm, I'm supposed to be an influence that helps her be holy and righteous and sanctified. And oh, man, how do I do that? Well, look at verse 28. In the same way, so, so reading just what he said about Christ in the church, how, how Christ you know, gave himself up for her to cleanse her and to wash in water, all that. In the same way, husbands should, and then you would think he would say something like, have quiet times with their wives, you know? Husbands should take the, theological courses with their wives. Husbands should, I mean, because he's talking about sanctifying, right? He's talking about presenting the wife holy, but he, he says husbands should love. Their wives as their own bodies. So what I what I what I get from that is that first and foremost, by loving your wife really well, you create an environment in which discipleship happens in the home. That's what I see. I by by loving your wife as Christ loves the church, you create this um, this fertile soil. In your home, and I believe it, it, it applies to children too. I'll, I'll show you that here. Hopefully at the end we'll, we'll, we'll come into that. But you create this, this fertile soil in which discipleship happens. So when a, when a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church and a wife submits to and affirms and responds to the leadership of her husband, you know what happens then? We're, we're not just reading the Bibles to our kids, we are living the Bibles out in high definition, Dolby surround sound to our kids. Right? Is that, is that, you get that? When, when, when you're loving your wife, it's Christ of the church, you're displaying all these things. Now, I, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, don't read your Bibles to your kids. Obviously, yes, do, but, I, but I'm saying there, there's this element of, of living it out. There's an element of, 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 visible proclamation of the gospel when a husband loves his wife and a wife submits to her husband. It's for the gospel. It's for the gospel. We, we live in a society right now, it's almost like, well, yeah, but it's not fair and this, that, and that. Well, no, that, none of that really matters. It's for the gospel. That's what it's for. So what exactly is Paul talking about here in Colossians, when he says, husbands, love your wives. Well, the word love there is agapo'o. It's a, uh, a couple things here. It's a direction of the will. Um, but it's not just this cold, calculated decision. 
It also has an element of a warm regard for, to take pleasure in, to be committed to her well-being. So somehow we've got to mix the two of those, and let, let's try to do that now. So first of all, it is a command, okay? Now, the, this is not odd for the Bible. The Bible commands you to love lots of people, right? It commands you to love your neighbor. It commands you to love your enemy. It commands you especially to love your spouse, to love your family. But when it comes to your wife, guys... Again, Ephesians 5 ramps everything up because it says to love your wife as Christ loved the church. It doesn't say that anywhere else. That's the only love category in which you are to love somebody as Christ loves the church. Okay, So it is a command. It is a direction of the will. So not feeling loving toward a wife is not an excuse to get around this command. Um not feeling loving toward your wife is not something you are helpless to change. You can change that. It is a command of your will. You are to act for her well-being. Okay, so let, let's start at the beginning. So what does it mean to love your wife? Well, it means no matter how you feel about her, you are going to direct your will. You're going to command, you're going to respond to the command of Jesus, and you're going to direct your will to act for her well-being. Ephesians 5.25 says, love your, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. Okay, so real, real clear instruction here. What does it mean? It means moving your will so that you give yourself up for your wife. Now, there's probably very few of us that will be called on to actually die for your wife. Maybe that'll happen sometime. Maybe you'll be, you know, she'll be on the train tracks, you know, picking flowers and won't see the train coming and you'll have to run and push her out of the way and you get hit. I, I don't know. Um, ladies, watch out for trains, okay? I, I you know... I, Hopefully that won't happen, but it might, I guess. You know, I, I, I don't know that I've ever known anybody that that happened to, and so probably doesn't happen very much. So, so how do we apply that Jesus gave himself up for the church, and so I am to give myself up for my wife? Well, again, physically, like dying for her probably is, is not going to happen, but every single day I have an opportunity to move my will to give up something of myself for her well-being. That happens every day. Give up selfish desires in order to care for her, in order to put her first. Give up my rights and privileges in order to meet her needs. Give up my plans and my wishes in order to care for her. Man, there's an abundance of opportunity to do that, right? Um, man, I'll have that today. There will be the dishes, you know, the kids probably aren't going to get them done. And so, you know, I can, I can ignore them and, you know, go do what I want. Or, I mean, man, that's, that's going to hit me two seconds after I walk in the door. I'm going to have an opportunity to give myself up in some small way for the benefit of my wife. So, so it is moving your will, moving your will to act on behalf of your wife. But if we just leave it with that, we, we can almost get this attitude that loving your wife is just doing the right things, you know? So I might go home and, and do those dishes, and the whole time I'm like, gosh, I can't believe she's so lazy. You know, why did she do these dishes? I don't know that that's what Paul's talking about, right? You know, like, for me to be justifying myself and saying, well, I'm doing them, you know? Obviously, there's... There's some emotion here. There's some treasuring, delighting in. Like, for real, rejoicing in your wife. It's all part of that word. Now, 
The mystery between how the will and the emotions function together is really cool to think about. I don't know that anybody understands that completely, but here's what I know. Faith moves our will, and our will affects our emotions. Okay, so that's the basis of this whole sermon, is that faith ought to put your will in gear, okay? And then as your will moves forward, your will affects, in some way, your emotions. We, we, we know that all the time, right? Um, my dad lives in Kansas. Uh, I don't see him all that often. Uh, I do love him, um, but I was, uh, was writing a Father's Day card uh, this week, and... Um, it's a really busy time. I had several things on my plate, but I carved out about 10 minutes to write my dad a letter. And uh, in that letter, I, I just I wrote 10 things that, that I, I love about my dad. And as I thought about those 10 things, you know what happened? My affections were warmed for my dad. Now, prior to writing those 10 things, I don't know that I was thinking very much about my dad. I was thinking about a couple funerals that I was getting ready to do, a wedding, a sermon, uh, softball games, all this, right? That, that's what I'm, I'm thinking about. But as I stopped and engaged my will to think about my dad, I found my affections being changed for him. So all I'm saying is, obviously, our will and our affections are tied, right? So it's not like you're just helpless. It's not like, you know, well, I don't have, you know... I don't have warm feelings for my wife, so there's nothing I can do, you know? No, there, there is something you can do, okay? You, you can act in faith. These are all commands, and you're able, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to obey them. Did, did, did you know that Proverbs chapter 5 actually tells you to delight in your wife? It, it does. It says, Proverbs uh, 5, 18, let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely dear, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always with her love. I mean, there's actually commands in the Bible that tell you, you ought to, you ought to delight in this woman. You, 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 that's a command. And, and so maybe you've been through a rough season with your spouse. Maybe there, there's been hurt and heartache and you're not feeling loving. You don't have that loving feeling. Right? There's a song about that. That's okay. You're still commanded to love her. Okay, now, how? Well, that's what faith is all about. Okay, so... So let's, let's, let's put things in gear here. All right, so, so Colossians 3, uh, we've been in it for months now. The first few verses, which are the foundation of this chapter, what do they tell us to do? They say, if then you've been raised with Christ, so if you're a believer, if you're connected to Jesus, what should you do? Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right end of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you've died, your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. All right, now, what is that saying? That is saying if I'm a believer, which I am, I hope you are. If you're not, I hope that you will consider what Christ has done for you today, okay? But many of you in this room are. And so that means you're joined to Jesus Christ. That means the, the old you is crucified with Christ. The new you has been raised up with Christ. You're seated in the heavenlies. You, you, your future is tied up in the glory of Jesus Christ. That is all true. So what are we saying? When we say set your mind on things above, we're saying Jesus is awesome. We're, we're, we're saying I want to be like Jesus. That's what we're saying. We're saying I'm tied to Jesus. We're saying the path to joy is in Jesus. All right, and I say, well, what does that have to do with marriage? Everything. Absolutely everything. 
All right? Because when you set your mind on things above, now what are you doing? You're gauging your faith. You're putting your faith in gear. Your, your, your faith is putting your, your will in gear. Right? Because if Jesus is awesome and you want to be like Jesus, and the path to joy is to be like Jesus, well, then love your wife. Yeah, but she's a stinker. Perfect. Perfect. I mean, really is. You know why? Because the church is a stinker. Right? I mean, Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Does the church ever drop its responsibilities to Jesus every day? Does the church ever uh, lackluster in its commitments to Christ every day? Does the church ever unfaithful to its groom Jesus every day? So you are in a perfect situation, all right? And I say that lightly. I realize... There's probably marriages that will be in this room or our other campus or later at the 11. I realize there are probably marriages that have deep, deep wounds, deep, deep disappointments, deep, deep hurts, deep, deep insecurities. So I'm, I'm not just like breezing by that, you know, well, you got a bad time. That's all right. So, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that. But what I am saying is Jesus is still the answer. What I am saying is you still need to set your eyes on things above. The answer is still be like Jesus. You know what the answer never is? Don't be like Jesus. That's never the answer. That's never, well, you know what? My spouse has been this or they've done this or whatever. So I'm not going to be like Jesus and that's going to be the answer. You've tried that, haven't you? How did it work out? Horrible. So in your woundedness, move your will by faith to engage to look to things above, to see all that Christ has done for you, all that he is for you. Let that engage your will to take care of the needs of your wife, to seek her welfare. And as you do that, I believe that your delight in her will increase. Sometimes we have to, we have to move our will to actually move our mind. You know, you know, so just, just what Paul's telling us to do here when he says, set your mind on things above. What he's saying is, all right, you're living in this, this world, right? You're living in a world of broken down vehicles and the air conditioner goes out in the hottest day of the year. And, you know, your kids got the flu and, you know, all this. You know, okay, and so he says, set your mind on things above. Look at these spiritual realities. Well, in a similar way, you, you should do that with people, too. Um, so, so here's what I know about my wife. She is my wife, my covenant wife. By marriage, God has supernaturally joined us together. You're like, really? I wish we'd have got that. You did, if you're married, okay? Because the Bible says in Matthew 19, well, God has joined together, let no man separate. So you are. So God, God has joined together as a picture of Jesus Christ and the church. Um, so we know that. And so I need to set my mind on that. Um, I, I tend to find other things as well. So, so like, here's one of the things I was thinking about the other day. I was, I was kind of dealing with a couple that was going through uh, adultery, and I was kind of thinking that through, and man, I, I just, I started thinking, man, my wife has given two full decades of her life, and her health, really, her health, she's given that to bear me five children, to partially bear several others that later miscarried, and then she's going to give the next two, I'm fully assured of this, she'll give the next two decades of her life to bringing in another one, maybe, and 
and then raising them up. What is there not to admire about that? Does that make sense? Like, like no matter what's going on with she and I, like maybe there's conflict, maybe we're not on the same page, maybe there's, I don't know, discontent, what, what, whatever. But, but sh- no matter that, should I not be full of delight for just what she's already done? How could I not be? I, I, you got to move your will. You, you got to move your will. You, you, see, I, I don't have to look at it that way, could I? I, I, could, I could look at it another way. I could focus on all the deficiencies or everything that's not or, you know, well, this or that. Honey, you don't look like you did when we were 20. Well, neither do I, you know. I, I mean, and what, what, if, what would it say if we did? What? Who, that's impossible. We'd be dead or something. Now, there's going to be some old boy in here at some point today that's going to say, well, pastor, I don't have anything like that. You know, you said you, you think back to all that your wife has done and raising your children, giving you children, five kids, and I don't have anything like that, pastor. So what then? Well, by faith, move your will to embrace the picture of Jesus Christ and his church. Okay? So let's say your wife's never done one single nice thing in your entire marriage. She's been nothing but mean as a snake to you. Um, tried to kill you ten times. You've escaped with your life barely. Well, here's the thing. Your marriage is a picture of Jesus Christ and the church. You are that church. You will bask in eternal glory the glory of the Son of God. You'll be exhilarated at the glory of God forever and ever, and your wife, broken as she might be, is a picture of that gospel. And so, what you know what? You ought to be able to delight in that. I mean, you, you deserve to be in hell, and you're going to live forever in fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. God has lavished upon you more grace than you can ever imagine. And your marriage is a picture of that gospel. So, Delight in that. Delight in being pleasing to your father by cherishing your wife. Delight in knowing that Jesus will not let you down. So treasure your wife. All right, so are we on the same page so far? So, husbands, love your wives. It is your command. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do that. You can move your will to meet her needs. You can treasure her in affection and in genuine emotion. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do that in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Now, let's keep going. Verse 19. So he says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Or what your translation may say, don't be embittered toward your wife. I actually think that's a better translation. Now, if you just take this at face value, it might just mean husbands, you know, don't, don't be mean to your wives. You know, don't take your leadership you know, don't let that go to your head. Start yelling at everybody. Uh, don't be harsh. But I, I think there's more here than that. Okay, the reason I think there's more here than that is that word harsh, it's a difficult word to translate. When you, when you look at the different translations, people are kind of struggling to translate it because it actually means to become bitter. It's used three other times in the New Testament. They're all in the book of Revelation, and they all describe like tasting something that becomes bitter. 
Or in one of the cases, it's you eat something and then it becomes bitter in your stomach, right? And, and, and so that, that's, that's the way the word, it, it really means to like be bitter against, you know? It's like to, to, to have something and you, you're, you're bitter about it. And so you are harsh, which is why they translate it harshness there is because it's this inner, in, in, inner bitterness that leads to an outer harshness. That, that's a good way to say it. It's an inner bitterness that leads to an outer harshness. Now, why would a husband be bitter with his wife? Well, the same reason that a wife might be bitter with a husband. Um, why, why do we do that? Well, maybe she doesn't respond to your leadership. Maybe she rolls her eyes at every attempt that you have to lead, right? Maybe you've tried to lead and she rolls her eyes. Maybe you try to, you know, you know lead out spiritually and, and she mocks it a little bit, you know? Uh, I talked about the, that Lincoln woman, there's several of them at Lincoln, who, that are so good at the, at the whole affirming leadership that when their husband is like going down in flames in small group, they're right there with eyes that just look like, you're doing such a great job, honey, and they're trying desperately to, you know, rescue him somehow and, and affirm his leadership. Okay, maybe you don't have that wife. Maybe when you're going down in flames in small group, your wife's like, just be quiet, you know, honey, yeah. How stupid! Why would you talk, you know? I hope not. I don't know that there's a lady like that at Lincoln. Let's not have one. Let's not get one either, okay? But that makes a guy bitter. It could. Maybe she clearly doesn't look up to you. Maybe she's a bit checked out of the family. Maybe she falls short of your expectations. Maybe she's not everything that you dreamed about in your mind or had on your list. Don't those lists crack you up? Yeah, have you, yeah I, I talked to a lot of young people, and they've got lists. You know, this is what I want in a husband or a wife, you know? They write it all down. I'm just like, <coughs> that's good. Good idea. You look for that. It's great. Perfect. Maybe she lets you down doesn't follow your leadership. Maybe, maybe there's anger, lots of anger, lies, unfaithfulness, sin. And so there's this bad taste, this bitterness that can creep in, and the husband, in response to that, will act harshly. Now, if I could just be honest with you, this happens a lot. This happens a lot. I see it every week. Sometimes on the wife's side, often. I mean, it's, it's both. It's, it's not just the husband. It's, it's actually, this is a universal thing. But, but he's talking to husbands here, and I think it's really important that husbands lead out in this. So when there's this disappointment that leads to this bitterness that results in this harshness, a couple things. First of all, understand this. None of us measure up. It's called sin. Husbands, every single one of you married a gal who's a sinner. Wives, every single one of you, 100% failure rate at picking the perfect man. You got a deeply flawed model. Now, I, I, I know what's dangerous is we look around and we see somebody else who's not as flawed or more flawed, right? I mean, that, that's, that's really unhealthy. But, but here's the reality. Everybody is flawed. There, you're going you're, you're gonna to experience disappointment in marriage, unmet expectations. You're going to be sinned against by the one who's closest to you in life. That is all real. But instead of acting bitterly, what should we do? We should act with the gospel, right? We should run right back through everything we've been learning in Colossians 3. We should set our minds on things above, right? Because there is one who has never let us down. 
Because there is one who has given you more than you deserve. One of the the complaints I always hear in marriage is, I'm not getting what I deserve. Well, you are with Jesus. Actually, you're getting way more, right? So as, as much as you think you're not getting what you deserve in your marriage, you're getting way more than you deserve in Jesus, all right? So if you're a Christian, you're way in the plus. Like you're way more in the black than you ever, you ever deserve to be. He has so far exceeded our expectations that your mind cannot comprehend the quantity or the quality of blessing that's been placed on your life. So set your mind on things above. He's been lavish. He's been ridiculously generous. And so we ought not be bitter. It's almost as if you were to gather your family today for Father's Day and you were to say, guys, let's go swimming. You know, for Father's Day, and so you would take off in your car, and you would go maybe to Crystal Beach Water Park, and you would get there, and there's a big sign, closed. What a disappointment. But then as you walk back out to your car, a private jet lands right there by the rodeo fairgrounds, you know, comes to a halt, the door opens up, there's your good buddy from wherever you used to know him. He says, come on, everybody, get in, and he flies you to the Caribbean to your own personal water park. It would be hard to be disappointed about the Crystal Beach deal, wouldn't it? I mean, it'd be hard to be bitter about that. So maybe marriage hasn't been everything that you had on your list that you dreamed it would be. Well, you know what? Jesus has been beyond whatever you could imagine or dream. He could be for you. So don't be bitter. But rather, let's obey the gospel here. As we set our minds on things above, what do we do? Well, verse 8 told us we put off anger and wrath and malice. And verse 12 says we put on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. And then verse 13 says we we bear with and we forgive our spouse as the Lord has forgiven us. So we must also forgive. So number one, don't be bitter. Live out the gospel. Number two, remember She is your wife by covenant, and you are one. You're one. Now, I I think that we forget that. Um, I think that we forget that when we said, I do, when we said the vows, when we got married, God did something supernatural, and he joined us together as one for as long as you both so live, forever tied together. You share a home, you share a family, you share finances, you share a life together, your harshness will not only not redeem her, but your, your marriage bitterness will make your life bitter. Listen, you, you can't be harsh with your wife without being harsh to yourself. Let me show you. Go back to Ephesians. So in Ephesians 5, 28, it says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Why? Because there is a theological reality that if you're married you are one with your spouse so love your wives with your own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as christ does the church so again there's a picture of christ in the church we are one with jesus we're an extension of jesus he's the head we're the body we're tied to him forever and ever what happens to him is going to happen to us in the same way marriage you are tied to your spouse and so your bitterness toward your spouse 
will only make your own life stink worse. Being gracious with a wife does good things to your soul. Being gracious with a wife, it's like grilling in your backyard. Everything just smells better, you know? But, but being harsh and bitter with your wife, it's like me changing that little guy's diaper that's horrific, wrapping it up, putting it in a Walmart sack, and putting it under my bed. I mean, literally, that's being harsh with your wife is doing exactly that. It is creating an environment where things are going to stink. It's creating an environment that is not conducive to disciple making in the home. Okay? So a home in which you love your wife as Christ loves the church is a home where the gospel grows. And by the way, let's jump in real quick. We don't, we, we don't have but a second or two. But, but the same with kids. So, so verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. That, that word provoke means to arouse to anger, to stir up anger. Okay, now, now I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, how do you do that, pastor, without disciplining them? Well, absolutely, you need to discipline them. But what, what, he's, what he's telling dads here is, don't do anything that unnecessarily creates anger and strife in your home. Why? Because this home is an incubator for the gospel. It is the soil in which disciples will grow. And so don't plant weeds when you don't have to. There's times where you, you have to, obviously, confront your children, discipline your children, times where they're not going to be happy about that. But listen, there's a whole lot of other times where you wouldn't have to do that. And so minimize the times. Minimize the time. and, and, and let me tell you how we do this. We do this by greatly encouraging at every opportunity. We do this by affirming when at all possible. We do this by being gracious when we can. Man, dads, make that be your rule. Like whenever you can say something good about your kid, say it. Whenever you can, you can be gracious with them, be gracious with them. You know... It is a lot more important. A lot of dads will think, i got to point out everything that's wrong. You know, because I'm the dad, and i I got, I got to teach him. i got to instruct him. You don't have to point out everything that's wrong. In fact, what, what, what ought to be your mindset is, I'm going to try to point out everything I see that's right. And the stuff that is, just can't be overlooked, I've got to address that. But I want to create an atmosphere of love here in the family so that the gospel can grow. I'll tell you what I think Paul's doing. In a nutshell, here, here's what I think he's doing in, in, in addressing the husbands. So he tells the wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. He tells the children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. I think you know what he's doing to the husband? I think he's saying, look, act in a way that makes both of those other things as easy as possible. So, so guys, your wife as a godly Christian lady for the glory of God and the gospel is going to place herself under your leadership. So make that as easy a task as it can possibly be. Parents, your kids are commanded in the Lord to obey everything you say. And so make that as easy as possible. Make it as pleasant as possible. Why? Again, for the gospel. This is all for the gospel. This is all 
that the gospel might be seen and experienced and lived out and embraced in our homes. Husbands, love your wives, love your kids. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask you to help us with this. I pray that you would create homes here at Lincoln Avenue where husbands cherish and love and lavish great affection upon their wives. I pray, Father, that you would create homes here at Lincoln Avenue where wives affirm and respond to and encourage the leadership of their husband. I pray, Father, that you would create homes here at Lincoln Avenue where children obey and honor their parents and where where fathers don't, don't provoke their children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father, give us those homes. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name.